Screen Time with John Fardy. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy and this is News Talk's TV and movie show. This week on the show I talk to the great comedy director Paul Feig the director of Bridesmaids and Ghostbusters, about his new movie, The School for Good and Evil. We look at maths, yes, mathematics on the big screen, and how filmmakers have treated the subject over the years, in the company of comedian and author Colm O'Regan. Plus, the comedian's comedian, John Caleri, chats about his favourite movie. I'm open on Twitter, John underscore Fardy. Or you can email me screentime at newstalk.com. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5 pm on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6 pm right here on Newstalk. Good weekend to you all. Hope you're doing well. I had a good week up until I was clamped on Thursday night, clamped in my car for the first time ever. I'd never been clamped before. Not that I'm a particularly, you know, law-abiding citizen or anything, but I just, I've never been clamped before. Such a sinking feeling, getting off a train and finding that yellow pox on your car. It was my son's fault, my four-year-old's, who I'm happy to name him Shame, because uh, he was refusing to go into creche. And as a result, I was late to my uh, train and I just completely forgot to get a ticket. So, uh, you know, I'm happy to pay for all his needs, you know, until he's 18 or 25 or whatever, school, food, toys, piano lessons, whatever. But the inadvertent costs, when he's acting up and I have to pay 120 quid, I'm thinking of starting a journal, you know, a balance sheet of, uh, you know, the losses when he's acting the maggot and present it to him on his 18th birthday. So that was my week. Now, last week on the show, the most reaction I got to was to a non-movie matter. I, I mentioned I'd gotten tickets for Billy Joel next year in London in Hyde Park. And I claim to be Ireland's biggest Billy Joel fan. And I said how I think he's become cool after you know years of not being cool. And just about everybody agreed. And there's a huge amount of love out there. And people were in touch. A lot of musicians as well saying how much they adore him. Uh, and Niall Kavanagh sent me a lovely email. And turns out we were probably at some of the same Billy Joel concerts together. There was one dissenting voice in Owen Murphy who's now questioning all my reviews because I said Billy Joel was cool. But anyway, you can't will them all. And a, a, a friend of mine, it's fair to say he's a friend of mine, and a broadcaster who shall rename nameless got in touch saying he claims to be Ireland's biggest Billy Joel fan. So I suggested to him we have a BJ off. Haven't heard from him since. And uh, me and Mark Royal last week were discussing David O. Russell. And uh, we did point out at one point that we both of us didn't like I Heart Huckabees. And uh, someone got in touch saying we were mad that it's different and it's funny and you guys are mad. They didn't sign it, but I love the ebb and flow of the difference of opinion about movies and uh, TV and, of course, music. And if you have no time for Billy Joel, that's cool, too. Now, we're nearing the back or the end of, we're certainly on the back nine uh, with House of Dragon, House of the Dragon on Sky Atlantic and the Rings of Power, the Lord of the Rings prequel thingy majiggy on apple on amazon whoops got to be careful there mixing up my streamers on amazon 
And I think it's episode eight is now available on Lord the Rings of Power and we're nine in House of the Dragon. And I've been watching them kind of in tandem. And I know I mentioned this briefly a couple of weeks ago, but hands down, House of the Dragon is winning. It's it's just a more cohesive story. There's not a huge amount going on in a good way. It doesn't have all these sprawling storylines. It's 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 one family in essence and a couple of tentacles off that and it's kind of gripped my attention the whole way and people seem to be enjoying it and i've said to you before the rings of power i i'm up to episode seven and it's gotten better but man it's taken a long time to get there and i'm, I'm really still of the opinion if this is the most expensive tv show ever made the juice has not been worth the squeeze and my 10 year old who i watched this kind of stuff with you know said to me they finally got to the action after episode seven and uh, episode six, I think it was, but, and the action was pretty, pretty blistering in episode six, but that's a long time to get there. Uh, and I know you have to world build and all that, but you need to build your worlds quicker. So I'm still scratching my head a bit about the rings of power on Amazon. Do let me know what you might be thinking of either of those shows. And incidentally, The Old Man, which we mentioned on Disney a couple of weeks ago, which is dropping weekly with Jeff Bridges, continues to be great TV. I hope you will agree if you are watching it. If you're not, you should get on it because uh, Jeff Bridges going off grid and coming back on as a deadly former CIA operative is pretty compelling. Action-packed TV from where I'm sitting. And then really quickly, just before we get to matters at hand, uh, Angela Lansbury, of course, died this week. Uh, it was earlier in the week, so you've probably heard all about her. Uh, she was 96, and of course, Murder, she wrote. Jessica Fletcher was, was probably the thing, rightly or wrongly, most people remember her for. But if I could just tell you, the Manchurian Candidate, that great Cold War classic thriller, the original, that's her my favourite role of hers. She plays this controlling, image-conscious, political matriarch in this kind of hidden role as a ruthless secret agent, willing to sacrifice her own flesh and blood in the form of her son uh, for her own ego. And there's this kind of weird layer of you know incest almost. And it is it's her best performance. She is scary in every sense of the phrase, scary as you'd be scared by her, but scarily good in it. Uh, so RIP Angela Lansbury. And if you do want to check out just what a great actress she was, I would suggest watch The Manchurian Candidate. Now this week, I was watching this. The School for Good and Evil. It's where the true story behind every great fairy tale begins. Aggie, this is it! That must be The School for Good! No, 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 Sophie, I wanted to take us both back! Clearly, there's been a serious mistake. My friend Sophie wanted to be here. Oh, it must be in hell. She's so not a villain. Of course I'm not. Do I look like a witch or some disgusting old hag? That hag is my mother. Now, that is a little of The School for Good and Evil, which lands on Netflix next Wednesday, the 19th of October. In the village of Galvedon, two misfits, two best friends, Sophie, played by Sophia Ann Caruso, and Agatha, 
played by Sophie Wiley, share an unlikely bond. Sophie's a golden-haired seamstress. She dreams of escaping her dreary life to become a princess, while Agatha kind of has a grim, almost gothic aesthetic and an offbeat mother. She is the makings of being a real witch. And one night, under a blood-red moon, a powerful force sweeps them away to the school for good and evil. But something's amiss from the start. Sophie is dropped into the school for evil. Uh, run by the glamorous and and really kind of acid-tongued Lady Lesso, played by Charlize Theron brilliantly. And Agatha goes to the school for good, and that's overseen by the kind of kindly Professor Dovey, played by Kerry Washington, who's also great in it. And so they end up in the wrong schools, it would appear. And then they have to go to classes and there's complications there. The schoolmaster, again played brilliantly by Lawrence Fishburne, says that only true love's kiss can change the rules and send the girls to their rightful schools and destinies. But then this kind of dark figure played by Kit Young with mysterious ties to Sophie shows up and threatens to destroy the school and the world. Uh, So this is a dark fairy tale and it's aimed at young adults. It's based on the highly popular teen fiction books the series The School of Good and Evil. Now, it's directed by Paul Figg, F-E-I-G, Paul Feig, but I have heard him called Paul Figg as well, but Paul Feig, F-E-I-G, just to be clear, directed it. Now, Paul Feig, and it, oh, by the way, it was shot entirely in Belfast uh, in its absolute entirety. Not that it really looks like Belfast because it's this kind of fantastical place. Now, Paul Feig gave us Bridesmaids. He directed Bridesmaids. He directed the reboot of Ghostbusters. He's a spy. He spent a lot of time with Melissa McCarthy and they've had a, they've had a long working relationship. He gave us, I think, a great Christmas movie last Christmas. It was destroyed by the critics, but, but I think it's a Christmas classic at this stage. He's done lots of TV. He created uh, the brilliant series Freaks and Geeks oh, over 20 years ago now. He's a funny guy. He's a very talented guy. And I got to talk to him earlier in the week about the School for Good and Evil and a bit more besides. And I should point out, this interview does contain two little swear words. If there are younger ears listening, I do apologise. Let me begin. I broke the law last night because I let my 10-year-old watch this movie, despite the fact that it's for 12s and up. But he, re- he really enjoyed it, as did I. You'd be, you'd be pleased to hear and oh, had good. a sense of breaking the law. But, you know, I know, I, I know a bit about your career. So I'm just wondering, does it seem like a big departure for you to be, you know, making a teen movie in essence even though it's i i mean it's maybe for everyone but the source material is definitely kind of young adult and teenager does this feel like a change for you you know what it's it's funny i i you know i never set out to make movies for you know for teens or whatever young adult if, if you will um but again yeah like you say i faced it as kind of a movie for everybody but i it, it's the really the story first and foremost that that draws me to things and i find a lot of ya books actually have stories that i find more interesting <laughs> than a lot of more adult books because they deal with kind of extreme emotions in in extreme situations and this one when i it was sent to me as a script before I'd even read the books. And I just fell in love with this story of female friendship, the idea of, of this meditation on good and evil and what are we? Are we all one thing? Are we all one other thing? And, you know, especially in today's world that's so divided at the moment, it just seemed like the perfect thing to be able to comment on through storytelling. 
Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and, and the greatness, I suppose, of, of good and bad. Yeah. And tell me this, I have to go Irish very quickly. <laughs> you, you did it in Belfast almost in its entirety, I understand. Why Belfast? Well, um, we, there was, we could shoot there, which was great. And also it just has the topography that we loved. You know, a lot of those forest scenes that we did, those, those are all actually, there's a place called Big Dog that we went to for the blue forest. That was this most amazing moss covered magical forest that nobody had ever really shot in because it was so remote, but we, you know, I just, I loved the look of it and, and the people, and there was great, great crews there and great stages. And, um, you know, it just, it all kind of worked out in our, in our favors. So uh, I, I would shoot something in Belfast again in a heartbeat. We just had the best time. That's the correct answer. So, uh, you know, we can we can continue with the interview. So. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so listen. Phew. Oh, man. Yeah, I was sweating that one. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, the cast is great uh, from the two young leads, oh. Sophie and Anne, but also to, to Lawrence Fishburne, uh, Charlize Theron. But I just want to ask, Kate Blanchett, she's narrating. Now, she very famously narrated another huge fantasy tale was that a, a help or a hindrance do you think uh, you know what? It's something I didn't even think about. <laughs> um, it, only after it was done, I was like, "Oh, that's right!" Like somebody said it to me. I was like, oh, "I forgot about that." Um, no, we, we, you know, we we had somebody who had done the narration for it, who was on set with us, who was great. But but we, you know, it was decided, "Oh, let's get like a name person in there." And I'm friendly with with Kate, and so called her up and was like, "Would you want to do this? <laughs> like, I have you have to do it like next week. We gotta have." To. And she's like, "Yeah." So you know, she came in. It was like an hour and a half gig for her. And you know, but she's so great and just brought such an extra dimension to it that uh, now I've got the narrator from from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's only people like me who worry about that kind of stuff, anyway. Like you, it hadn't even occurred to you. So why should I even bring it up? I guess. Well, it's okay. You'd be amazed at the stuff that I'm not aware of that I only find out after the fact. And it's like, oh, great. Why didn't somebody tell me that before? But I would not have changed a thing because I love Kate. And uh, oh, my God, she just crushed it. And listen, Lawrence Fishburne, uh, I don't see him as often as much as I'd like on screen, but he just has that great thing that I think great actors have presence. Uh, is that your sense of him when he's on set with you? Oh, totally. I mean, first of all, he's the nicest guy in the world, you know, because I'd never worked with him before. And I was, you know, you're always intimidated when you meet somebody who's one of your heroes. But he was so lovely and so much fun and just like to have a laugh and, and all this and so loved to take direction and, and different ideas. But yeah, he brings a major gravity to anything he does. I mean, look, you know, that voice just, you know, it's Morbius <laughs> coming in and, you know, and, and basically uh, explaining your movie, which is uh, wait, Morpheus. What is, oh, God, I'm so, I, I turn to my nerd card. I can't remember which one it is from from the Matrix, but uh, you know, but he's he's just uh, you know he brings that weight to 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 the role that we needed and wanted. Yeah. And can I just go back then to, to something you said at the start then about young adult fiction and maybe even maybe even kids' stories. There's an awful lot of truth, I think, in that we need to tell kids about all the, for want of a better phrase, shit that can happen in life. And that, that's what I liked about yeah. the film, that there's, there's, a, there's a lot of darkness in it. And there was times my brave, law-breaking 10-year-old, I could tell was a bit scared, particularly with the concept of like blood magic and stuff like that. But it's... Obviously, I, I feel yeah. you, you, you share my sense of it that, you know, kids are smart and especially teenagers, they need to know about this kind of stuff. Oh, very much so. I mean, you know, look, that's where, you know, 
fairy tales were invented in the first place to tell these, you know, very stark, terrifying. I mean, I didn't like fairy tales as a kid because they were terrifying. I mean, such awful things <laughs> happened in them, but they were cautionary tales that made you go, okay, don't do that and don't be like that and don't, you know, put yourself in this situation. But yeah, you know, it was very important to me and important to Netflix. You know, when I talked to Scott Stuber, who's in charge over there, he said like, look, this should be like an anti-Disney movie. And I was like, great, because I don't want to make something that's soft. You know, I mean, you know, <laughs> I come from R-rated filmmaking, so, you know, I, I didn't want to have to suddenly make everything kind of puppies and kittens and, and uh, it was nice that I got that support from them, you know. And we go nice and dark, but but in a fun way, you know. I, I never want my movies to be mean spirited or have a negative message to them, and and also for for you know for young audiences. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I think your ten year old probably felt this. It's more aspirational for them to watch something that they feel is for older kids or for older people, but that still they can relate to. You know what I mean? So you know, like when I was a kid, like I had no interest in like kids programming because it all felt silly and, and young to me and I wanted to watch what the adults were watching and so I, you know, I wanted to kind of bring that feeling to this for the younger audiences but then you know, obviously we hope everybody watches Yeah, yeah, very, very good point I mentioned to you before we came on air that I spoke to you it's probably three years ago at this stage for last Christmas and the great thing is it, this is a matter of mm -hmm. public record now but every Christmas on this station that you're talking to me on I've presented a Christmas Day show with best Christmas movies and TV clips and I've included Last Christmas every year because I've loved that movie oh. and I love the George Michael oh, aspect to it I, I love it all And but yet and you see I can say this to you because there's no glass houses here because I'm a fan of that movie. It was torn apart by <laughs> critics initially. But I'm wondering in oh a way yes. in a way maybe with something like Love Actually as well do you have a sense it's maybe starting the tide is turning on that and people are starting to go to it again at Christmas because I certainly think they should. Oh yeah, no, I mean it was really, it's funny you know, my movies have actually done in general really well with critics which doesn't normally happen with comedy, so I was I was a little ill-prepared for some of the venom that came at it but, but you know, look, I get it I, I try to never get mad at critics about stuff because, you know, you like what you like but, um, no, it, it I mean, it kind of immediately re rehabilitated itself because audiences really liked it, you know, it was really more the snarky critics or, or snarky people on the internet that were stirring up trouble with it. You know, that was my only issue I had was I was really upset with so much of the media gave away, was giving away the the, the, the ending of the movie. And I've never seen that happen to any other movie. And for some reason, I don't know why, because, you know, our trailer, you know, I was not crazy about our trailer because it definitely tipped telling you, you know, to, it was easy to figure out what our twist was from those, those trailers. So I wasn't happy about that. But... For some reason, the media took that as meaning, oh, well, we can just give it away now. And and it's just so that was kind of upsetting. But, you know, now that we're past all that, people just go to it and they find it. And most people are surprised by, you know, what happens. In it. And a lot of people come up to me now and say, it's their, you know, one of their favorite Christmas movies. So that's, you know, that's great. Good, good. It, it, it's come full circle then. Let me ask you, finally, looking mm -hmm. back over your long and varied career, and this might I, maybe it, it sounds like a strange thing to say to you, but I was wondering if there's a scene that people talk to you most about, right? If for, for, I'm sure you're stopped regularly and people mm -hmm. trade scenes with you, but would it be Melissa yeah. McCarthy having an accident in a sink in a bridal suite? Yeah. 
Uh, very much so. <laughs> <laughs> that whole, that entire sequence, people, yeah. that or, 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 or Maya Rudolph taking a shit in the street. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, my, my, the high points of my career are all, all shit-based, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and yet we still got nominated for two Oscars, so figure that out, John. <laughs> and rightly so, and rightly so. Oh, absolutely lovely to talk to you, Paul. Uh, the School for Good and Evil is a great movie for young adults and older adults like myself as well. A pleasure to talk to you again, Paul. Thanks Th a million. Thanks so much, John. You're always so great. I appreciate it. Yes, Paul Feig there, chatting to me about Last Christmas, Bridesmaids, and of course his new movie, The School for Good and Evil, which is on Netflix on the 19th of October. So that's next Wednesday. Up next, mathematics in the movies. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. Now, Matt's Week Ireland is taking place from the 15th to the 23rd of October. Now, why on earth would I be talking about Matt's on a movie show? Well, there are some interesting examples of Matt's being portrayed in the cinema all the time. I'm joined now by the well-known author and comedian, Colm O'Regan, who you may know is a Matt's enthusiast, I think it's fair to say, having hosted the Matt's podcast and will be again in the future, The Function Room, where he tries to sex up Matt's, <laughs> if I can be so bold. He's here to talk and look at how some filmmakers have portrayed Matt's on screen. Colm, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. Uh, before we start, uh, to quote Dara O'Brien, uh, who I think was once asked if he could make science sexy and he said I can't even make sex sexy so I'm going to uh, I'm going to plead the sixth amendment on that and say that yeah I, I I'm an enthusiast in the sense I think I have my nose pressed up against the glass of maths okay. it's like there are different types of people in the world there are people who just hate maths yeah. or are afraid of it or had a terrible time in school with it uh, there are people who are just really good at it and I'm falling into another bracket of people who would love to be that you know, cool movie mathematician person. <laughs> um, so I'm just, I'm saying, I'm kind of just outside the door saying, can I join your club with okay. limited skills? And do you have a degree in maths? Not to get all... No, uh, engineering. Okay. But I uh, I loved the bits of maths at times. You know, there'd be yeah. there'd be times like where it was very practical, working out how how a fridge works yeah. or a shock absorber. Okay. And, like, <laughs> See, I, I told know, you it was sexy. It is. I mean, like, uh, maybe... Maybe there hasn't been enough written on shock absorbers, but it's, you know, just a, let's just say Laplace transform and shock absorbers. And your listeners will know what I'm talking about. I don't need to explain it any further. We're there. We're you're there. We're yeah, in you're Kansas, here folks. for that. Yeah. We're going to get to movies now in one second, but let me ask you this really quickly. And maybe it's a bit cliched, but as a maths enthusiast, is it your contention or should one think that maths is incredibly important because it accounts for so many of the things we, you know, take for granted? Or is that a leading question? No, it's perfectly understandable question. Like, I think what what happens is people think uh, it's not for me. And mm -hmm. for a lot of people, it isn't, yeah. you know. And, and then on the other side, we kind of go, no, anybody can do anything they want in maths. And mm -hmm. then there's some bits that are just very, very hard. Mm -hmm. But for me, it's always like, I, I'd hate for anyone to think that's just not for me because someone told them mm -hmm. it wasn't for them or because the bit of maths they'd seen was stuff that was just that yeah. really hurt them. School often feels like you have to do all this stuff in order to get to do the cool stuff and yeah. then most people never get to find out 
about cool stuff. Not that like everybody in mathematics is drawing on glass walls in their <laughs> in their bare feet <laughs> and, yeah. and finding the answer and going, I've got it. Yeah. No time to explain. Get in the car. <laughs> but uh, so so for me, like as a as somebody who, you know, reads the books about popular maths and in the podcast talks to interesting people mm. who know this stuff. It's really just look, there's some fascinating stuff. There's some interesting stuff. There's stuff that, do you believe in magic? Well, there's stuff that's way more interesting than yeah. magic going on around you. And I think that's that's what uh, um, gets my fascination. We're going to get to the movies, I promise. I didn't realise I was so interested in maths. We were talking beforehand. We both have young kids. Really quickly in 30 seconds. And again, this might be a leading question, but my sense of it is, from doing the bits of homework with my kids, they might be teaching maths a bit better in school Think so, than yeah. me and you were taught it. Yeah, it's definitely not the volume we did. Yeah. I remember like <laughs> yes, a serious amount, even as young yeah. as seven. I have a seven-year-old and even as young as seven-year-old, I remember mm. the sum copy and yeah. how many sums you had to do. And like, I remember as a kid who was good at like, like liked to write in his copy yes. and liked to fill pages. Mm-hmm. It suited me, yeah. but I could see children yeah. in my class who have since turned out to be quantity surveyors or, you know, all people who are just actually good at stuff yeah. and handy yeah. being uh, ex- excluded mm. because, you know, it was emphasis on yeah. do 25 sums tonight for homework. Um, I mean, stuff that's around now, like number blocks. I don't know if yes. kids watch number blocks on um, CBBS. Like, it's absolutely brilliant. Mm. Like, and they're having fun with prime numbers yeah. and square numbers. When my five-year-old was three, she knew what a square number was because of number blocks because they were shaped out like squares. Mm. And honestly, I never saw yeah. a square number in the shape of a square. <laughs> you know, when, when I will lad, you know, we didn't have copies. Yeah, well, listen, we better get to the movies. People yeah. are going to be texting and going, what are these two nerds talking about? They won't. Ma- they will support us. They will, they will support us. Right. That was false humility. Who yeah. would turn off this show? So listen, Matt's on screen. Uh, you know, it, it's probably too large a topic to say they get it well they don't do it well but you've picked out a few examples which are certainly intriguing A Beautiful Mind is probably comes to most people's minds when you think about Matt's in the movies it was John Nash play, played brilliantly I would suggest yeah. by uh, Russell Crowe as a Matt's genius who became somewhat unhinged or was always unhinged Yeah and I suppose that's one that's one your classic biography there's there's bits in it where he's clearly younger than everybody else and be- better than everyone else and then there's the you know and it it, it it apparently got an award for its treatment of of the issue of mental health and sure. schizophrenia. So it's certainly not. It's not. You're not saying like that. It's so, such a cliche to have, but actually that that is his story. Yes. And I, I I like it because obviously it's very much of its time and of its place. But it does do the kind of Matt's Matt's film tricks. Like he comes in one day and throws the book in the bin, and you're like, oh, that's a. That's a renegade. That's, that's a renegade step. He's he's teaching all these students and he's like, Dump, you know, you won't need what's in here. Writes the equation on the board and is, I say the love interest, but it's actually is the woman who became his yes. wife and supported him. So again, it's not to say that this is somehow cliche. She tries to solve it. But it's like, there's a bit in it that it's, it's very much of its time because of the time it represents where John Nash, the roots of game theory are trying to chat up women in the bar. Well, hold that thought. Yeah. Adam Smith needs revision. What are you talking about? If we all go for the blonde. We block each other. Not a single one of us is going to get her. So then we go for her friends. 
but they will all give us the cold shoulder because nobody likes to be second choice. Of what if no one goes for the blood? We don't get in each other's way, and we don't insult the other girls. That's the only way we win. That's the only way we all get laid. That was a clip from A Beautiful Mind, which Colin O'Regan has selected as one of his movies that represents Matt's on screen. Is the Matt in that movie good? The thing about all of this is, I think that what does what should any kind of good film or piece of work do mm. that holds your attention for uh, the length of a movie or a five minute segment on on a movie radio show or <laughs> or in a podcast? Does it encourage you My to My show have, is both a podcast and a radio of show, course. just to clarify. What, what do they call that? Uh, multi-channel? Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, but what it should do is encourage you to look up yeah. more stuff. So, you know, the, the bit in that clip is about game theory mm-hmm. and it goes on to be used in, like, um, I don't know, in arms races mm-hmm. and all that. So maybe that's... That's the interesting thing I'd for me as as somebody who's interested in this kind of thing is where does where does it go or what does it mean? Yeah. So it's very much a stylized thing. It's just something that encourages to look up more. Now, of course, when you Google stuff and go onto Wikipedia and anything to do with maths, it's like um, first you need to know about these other fifty five things, <laughs> and pretty much soon you're seeing Greek letters you have never seen before. <laughs> but at least you're having a look. Yeah, absolutely, and, and I think it would lead people into checking out things like game theory and stuff like that. Albeit with maybe questionable examples with blonde women on the screen. Now, Hidden Figures, great movie. My memory of it because it's six years old at this stage now. How's that for Matt? Remind people what's going on in that. In Hidden Figures, these uh, like. It, it, these computers, which we think of as objects, but actually compu- original computers mm. were women mm. who did a lot of the calculations. Uh, it was seen as like lesser work, even though it was like hard sums. Mm. And when the male engineering professions found out that computing was really important and really hard, they suddenly called it engineering and started to exclude women. So there's a whole 20 years of women being computers in the middle of the, last, of the last century, that's almost been forgotten, mm. uh, especially against the contrast of STEM being seen as male and all yeah. that kind of thing. But uh, the uh, so these women are doing the sums to get, I think it's John Glenn, mm. into space. So they're dependent on this big IBM computer, but Octavia Spencer looks at the problem, you know, there's absolutely you need it for a maths movie a giant blackboard with a ladder mm-hmm. you know I, I, if your if your maths film doesn't have 20 foot <laughs> ceilings and a blackboard where the top sums need are accessible only by step ladder then I'm sorry you're not you're not at the at yeah. the races at all and so she kind of solves it and she 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 says oh maybe we need old maths so she quotes something that Leonard Euler did, who's this maths genius from 300 years. And there's all this like, I found the answer. Mm. You open the book, camera zooms in on the bit that is the answer. But what I like about it is, at its heart, it's firing a human in an object into the unknown in the hope that they'll come back. And the sense that his life is in the hands of the person doing the sums. Like, you you wouldn't necessarily get that from uh, A Beautiful Mind. No, absolutely. But in so many walks of life people's lives depend on on the maths being yeah. correct and i think it gets that across very well also of course it's it's a lovely film in the sense that what's inside your head can transcend all the ridiculous 
awful barriers that you know, would have kept Octavia Spencer's character down mm. as an African American woman mm. in the you know in the sixties. So you know, maths the chalk being handed around, everybody's handing each other chalk to finish the yeah, to yeah. finish the sum. It's like the power in that yeah. is completely. Uh, irrelevant who you are or what your background is so yeah. it's, that's a great film like yeah, it's just no, it's no, true it and it works Your final movie is a great choice and, and I was going to say dark but that's maybe overstretching it but l- people know Darren, o- yeah, Darren yeah. Aronofsky from things like The Wrestler Black Swan and he's a brilliant director but his first movie well his second movie Requiem for a Dream is incredibly dark but his first movie is a real curiosity all about as the title suggests pie Yeah and <laughs> This is the kind of film that I'd say when if you watch it when you're 19 and the film is telling you there's patterns everywhere, <laughs> the stock market controls things yeah. and it's all to do with uh, the mysterious numbers and the Jewish Torah and, uh, you know, mm. Kabbalah and all that. You will lap that stuff yeah. up. You're like, yeah. I finally understand. <laughs> and then you'd be looking at all the people your own age going, you fools. You were if walking, only you knew the yeah, maths. You were walking around in sleep, you sheep. Uh, <laughs> So, so it's, it's very enticing that way. Now, the maths in it, uh, from what I can see, is sort of, you know, um, is it broad yeah, brush strokes? Yeah, it's like there's a bit, there's a lot of new, a lot of numerology masquerading as maths. Okay, and but like it's just a cool looking film. It's yeah. black and white. It's as grainy as you know one of these photos developed in a dark room in a grainy film. Yeah. And, <laughs> and and it's just, you know, it's cool. It's made for Tuppence Ha'penny. Yeah, it was $8,000 you know. or something. So, that, so there's no, there's no time wasted on quick get in the car or jump on the plane, you know, giant set piece. Yeah. You know, even the, there's a fight in it where they're trying. So basically the story of it is that he spots patterns yeah. in, in the numbers and he uses his computer called Euclid uh, is is pick some stock market yeah. things that work, and he is he meets a guy who's an expert in the numerology of Kabbalah and the mm. numbers of the you know ancient Jewish uh, knowledge that is destroyed by the Romans. And straight away you're going, oh man, I love this mm. knowledge that was destroyed. That's way more interesting than just stuff happens. Yeah. And so he, be, he starts seeing patterns everywhere. The stock market bad guys are after him. The Jewish elders want his answers as well mm. and in the end well I won't give away in the end yeah. but you know so it's it's like oh yeah Matt is so mysterious yeah. and like there it's cliche there's, there's Matt's cliches coming out it's yeah. up, out the wazoo like you know uh in order to be good at maths you have to be obviously insane in some yeah. in some area you have to have like done your PhD really young and then be disillusioned whereas like most people just go through normal life and it's a thing they do um, that's, that's a common trope in these movies I think it torture is torture genius yeah, and kind of. it, like it, it's like in the case of John Nash it's true yeah. uh, but in the case of most people and I think that's probably what serves to if we make people feel excluded from maths am I Am I tortured enough yeah. for this yeah, subject? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like I feel like I'm not black and white, grainy, yeah. and mysterious <laughs> enough for this game. You know, because I go to, I just go do my shopping in Tesco. Would a tortured genius do that? Yeah. So there's a bit of that. Um, Maths is for everyone. Is your takeaway? Well, what I would say is we don't know. If you think it's not for you, don't don't go and take somebody else's word for it. Have yeah. a look. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, people do maths in their heads all the time. Mm. People who work, people who work in the gambling industry, bookies, people who, you know, they, the people are doing maths all the time and without really feeling about it. Your brain does it when it catches yeah. something, you know. So yeah. it's, um, 
It's everywhere. It's, it is everywhere. And, and the movies, you know, they give that little bit of, you can always feel very clever watching a movie. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that's exactly. That's at its heart. Uh, just in closing, one we didn't get, and there's loads of them, like The Theory of Everything, and th- th- there's loads of movies, even that movie 21 about gambling, loads of them. But Goodwill Hunting, although not a Matt's movie, again, and I love that film. I know it's a bit of a guy cry kind yeah. of thing, but I, I do love that. I was going to say it's a guilty pleasure, but screw that. I just love that film, right? Yeah. But again, Matt Damon's character, he's kind of, the torture genius in yeah. it when he solves this equation. It's not a maths movie, but again, that trope does play out again where he's all conflicted. You know? And of course, it's the solving of the equation. It's yeah. like, you just walk in like yeah. Harvey Keitel in Pulp Fiction. Yeah. I, I solve problems, and yeah. you do, except with chalk as yeah. opposed to disposing of something. <laughs> and I mean, that's that's, qu- that's quite a, that's probably a very male fantasy as well too. Look at all these people yeah. faffing around with emotion. Just, you know, you stride and you go, as I say, if they if there's something in it like a word or well, you know like in in John in a uh, beautiful mind like he's coming back from coming back to himself later in life and somebody walks in and looks at his blackboard and says uh, that's an analog to Frobenius for non-commutative extensions it's like <laughs> we all want to say that at some point in our lives <laughs> and you just have yeah Matt's Week in Ireland, Matt's Week Ireland is taking place from the 15th to the 23rd of October. Colm O'Regan will be back in all shapes and sizes. Yeah. A second series of The Function Room is imminent. Imminent. Coming to go out very soon. Yeah. Wonderful. Colm, thank you very much. Thank you. Up next, comedian John Caleri on his favourite movie. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time, News Talks TV and Movie Show. It's that stage of the week where we talk to someone well-known about their favourite movie. I'm delighted to be joined now by comedian and indeed actor and someone I saw recently described as a comedian's comedian, whatever that means. John Caleri will be playing at the Galway Comedy Festival, which is back very much in person from Tuesday the 25th of October to Monday the 31st. And I'm delighted to say he joins me now. John, from one John to another how are you i'm good john thank you and how are you i'm not bad i'm not bad always good to get that out of the way listen yeah. uh, your favorite movie uh humdinger uh, our resident critic mark ryle it's one of his favorite movies tell our listeners what it is and why if you would well um the movie is raised in arizona and uh why i suppose is because i saw it at the time it came out Mm-hmm. which I think was 1987. I could have seen it in 1988, possibly because we're a bit of a time delay in those days for movies. Yeah. And uh, I just loved it. Uh, I loved, it was the first time, I was about 19 maybe then, it was the first time I'd seen anything that was kind of drama, comedy to that level where where there was like a lot of tension, but there was this kind of underlying comedic thing all the time and the fact that it was kind of set in southern states usa and had this uh vibe of really interesting things coming out of people's mouths that you wouldn't expect that's what (laughs) i loved about it yeah Uh, will you just remind people briefly what it's about exactly well basically it's 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 a movie that starts with uh, a kind of a prison mugshot thing where Chris, uh, Nicolas Cage plays the 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 the, uh, the criminal, shall we say, the, the when when the movie starts and his his mugshot gets taken every time he goes to prison, he's in and out of prison, in and out of prison, he's robbing convenience stores. That's his gig, and in and out of prison, he gets his photograph taken by this police officer. Holly Hunter plays the part of Ed Edwina, 
and he falls in love with her and then he proposes to her uh, one time when he was getting his mugshot taken and they get married and they go on, she, they go and live in a trailer park just outside Phoenix and then they want to have their happy in love and they want to have a child but they can't have children so in just in the news around that time a furniture shop owner a guy called Nathan Arizona a character called Nathan Arizona he has the biggest chain of furniture shops and his wife has quintuplets so they have five babies so <laughs> Nicholas yes. Cage been 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 a been a, a a kind of a had that criminal bent thought to himself, well, well look, the hatch to between them. Let's let's kidnap a baby. They yeah. won't miss it. They won't miss one. <laughs> they have four more that are just nearly as cute as this one. That's one of the lines. They've got four more children that are nearly as cute as this one. They'll be fine. So they take this baby and it kind of kicks off from there. Yeah. And all sorts of stuff happens. And um it's really it's uh, it's re- it's a really great film. And Coen Brothers were kind of early career at that point. Mm. And uh, a lot of comedy, a lot of comedy in there, a lot of good stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't know where you stand on Nicolas Cage. It's funny. I, I was laughing as you were describing it, particularly that they won't miss one baby. There's such great yeah. lines in it. But, you know, he can be he can be hit and miss. But I, I think this might be his crowning achievement in some ways. I would agree with that. And at the time, I mean, I wouldn't have known. I think he was in. He might have been, was he in Rumblefish? Yeah. And Birdie was another one, an Alan Parker film around the same time. So he was a young, he was a young actor at that point. And I thought this guy is the best. This Mm. guy is absolutely the best actor ever. And then as time went on, it it changed for him and the roles he got changed and the things he did changed. And and it looks to me like what you just said, that it's kind of high point now. Yeah. Have you, by the way, seen a thing he did recently called The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent? No, no. He plays a version of himself. And as you're such a, a Raising Arizona fan, you should watch it whenever you get a chance because it's a return to hilarious form. He he's playing Nicolas Cage and he gets kidnapped to an island to do an appearance, and it's absolutely hilarious. I think you would love it. Anyway, okay, I will did, check that out. Did, 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 this is this is about you, and and tell me this, Coen Brothers. Have you liked all the other stuff they've done since then? Or are you a Coen Brothers fan generally? Um, I'm generally am yeah, and. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, so many of the so many of the films. Few of them completely passed me by and mm. totally fell flat for me. That one, Hail Caesar, kind of went flat for me. Yeah. And the other one about this a serious man was that the one? Yeah. That was kind of to me was just nothing. And then yeah. the other one that was a bit off, I felt was. Finding Llewellyn, whatever that was called. Finding Llewellyn Davis, was it? The folk singer thingy, yeah. Yeah, I thought that was a bit odd, that one. Mm. But the rest of them, like the Lebowski and the Fargo and uh, Barton Fink as well, dark kind of tale. Yeah. And the earlier stuff, Hudsucker Proxy, I thought was a bit rubbishy. Mm. Um, But Man Who Wasn't There is a great film. Brother Where Art Thou, obviously a great film. Um, no country for old men. There's so many of them. Yeah, there is. When you, when you actually list them, you know. 
Yeah, and you can't have hits all the time. But look, no, no. argument for me, Raising Arizona is a, a hilarious film. Talking of hilarious things, John, you, I should have said in the intro, you were in lots of The Savage Eye and you yeah. co-wrote some of it. And, yeah. you know, I, I think, like I remember loving it at the time and I'm not saying it because you're on the line with me now, but I think it's kind of grown in stature nearly since it's ended. And and we look back rightly now and think it's it's one of the best things RT ever put to air what what are your thoughts on it now well my thoughts on it are i remember it exactly as it was and i remember exactly where we were and how we did it and mm-hmm. what we did but i find it very interesting the feedback from people because as time goes on as you know yourself stuff gets shared in a different way yeah so stuff is getting shared tiktok it's getting instagram it's getting thrown out there as meme it's getting it's all sorts of very quick exposure to sketches that we wrote. And um, I do think, and I'm very, very, very happy about this, that people are uh, coming back and that they've never stopped talking about it, mm-hmm. which I think is absolutely brilliant. It never had a, uh, and, and, and the further away, like you said, the further away it gets in time. Mm-hmm it's kind of getting more slightly more established as a thing, you know, even kids that I meet, you know, young, mm. young heads that were maybe seven and eight years old when that thing was on, mm. they've seen it. They're sharing it around in school, sharing it around in college on, on clips and yeah. get people talking about it, you know? Yeah. But that's amazing. Really. It's a good point that these things may have a greater life than they ever would have before because of the way we can share stuff now. Yeah. So I, I'm glad that's happening. Tell me this. I said in the intro, uh, you've been described once or twice as a comedian's <laughs> comedian. Uh, do you have any sense what that means? I think it's it starts with always been giving people lifts around the place <laughs> and uh, <laughs> hosting a lot of shows as well. Um, yeah. But I, 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 it's, a, it's a compliment. Yeah. Uh, if I hear, if I've, I mean, if you've heard that, I love that because it is a compliment mm, and mm. it's just, I suppose it's, it's a, a mixture of people like the, the people I work with, like what I do mm-hmm. and I've been around a long, a longish time now. So yeah. I suppose it's it's a title that comes with with age as well. I suppose. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, well, it's 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 a nice title. Tell me this: uh, Galway is coming up, as I said. Yeah. It must be great. I, I have a lot of comedians in this slot, as you know, and I yeah. say to them all the time. But there's just there seems to me to be a certain sense of joy among your fraternity that you're back on a stage, not people not wearing masks, not at the moment anyway. Let's park that one. Yeah. But is it great yeah. to be back? Well, yeah, and this year has been. Um, really, really busy. I've been lucky, very, very lucky this year. I've been out on the road with Tommy Tiernan mm-hmm. and uh, it's been fantastic and we've been all over the country on and off since about February, March and uh, there'll be more of that up to Christmas and then the Galway Comedy Festival kind of dovetails with that mm. and uh, it's absolutely, it's it's really, really brilliant and it's so brilliant and so good that I have completely wiped the two years. It ha- it's it's like a little thing on my head that doesn't really register. Okay. So we just jumped over that. And once we got back working, like it seemed a long, long time at the time in, the, yes. in those couple of years that we didn't work. But once it started again, I was going, oh, let's just forget about that. 
That sounds like great advice. Well, his favourite movie is Raising Arizona. It's a classic. He is, as we described him, and he's happy to be described, a comedian's comedian. He's given a lot of lifts all over the country. You can see him and lots of other people like Dylan Moore and, and Tommy Tiernan at the Galway Comedy Festival. Galway Comedy Festival from October the 25th to Monday the 31st of October. John, lovely talking to you. Thanks a million. Thank you. And uh, one thing I'm just in my head about one of the lines in that film <clears throat> that I used to repeat to my friends all the time, especially when we were in our 20s, was uh, when High McDonough comes home after losing his job because he punches his boss in the face in the film and his two prison buddies who broke out of the prison and are living with him are sitting around drinking cans and eating food and whatever, feet up on the table. And uh, they were going, what's wrong with you, High? And he said, well, I did lose my job today. And one of the one of his buddies goes <laughs> incredulously goes, uh, "Hi, you're young and you have your health. What do you want with a job?" <laughs> I, I used to love that line. It used to go around my head every time I got kind of uh, misfortunate in employment, shall we say. <laughs> oh God, I'd forgotten about that as well. Yeah. What a wonderful place to finish. Thank yeah. you, John. Why don't you boys have a seat? It's two in the morning. What's that smell? We don't always smell this way, Ms. McDonough. I was just explaining to your better half here that when we were tunneling out, we happened to hit the main sewer line. Dumb luck, that. And we followed that You mean you busted out of jail? No, ma'am. Uh, we released ourselves on our own recognizance. What Devil here is trying to say is that we felt the institution no longer had anything to offer us. My Lord, he's cute. He's a little outlaw. You can see that high. Now, listen, you folks can't stay here. Ma'am? You just can't stay. Now, I appreciate you being friends of high and all, but this is a decent family now. I mean, we got a toddler here. Say, who wears the pants around here, H.I.? <gasps> that is a clip from Raising Arizona. John Goodman explaining why he broke out of prison. We felt the institution no longer had anything to offer us. That film is laced with brilliant lines like that. And, and I was saying to John Offair, John Caleri, that is, who was choosing it as his favorite movie, that we should, uh, that I'm going to watch it this weekend again. And he was suggesting he might do the same and you should do the same. That's it for this week. My thanks to Anne-Marie Kane, who helped out on the show this week. Also, my thanks to John Caleri, who was talking to me there about his favorite movie. And as I mentioned, you can hear him and lots of other people at the Galway Comedy Festival. I nearly said Galway Film Festival. That's an entirely different thing. The Galway Comedy Festival from Tuesday the 25th of October to the 31st of October. Next week on the show, very excited, I'm going to be talking to Brendan Gleeson, who I've never spoken to before, Colin Farrell and Martin McDonough, who I have spoken to before, but I'm very excited because obviously I'm going to be talking to them about this great new movie, which I have seen, The Banshee of Inishirin, which is a fantastic watch. So that's all to come next week. In the meantime, I'll just remind you, if you want to get in touch with me at any stage during the week, you can email me screentime at newstalk.com or you can tweet me. John underscore Fardy is my Twitter handle. Thank you for listening and we shall do it all again next week. Have a safe week ahead.